Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I am not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm super excited about this episode today. I have one of my greatest friends with me. His name is Derek Weeks. Derek, thanks for being with me, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I was reflecting on our friendship leading up to this interview, and it's crazy to me that we've been friends for like 15 years now. It's a long time. Yeah. It cut me off guard. I was like, man, everything just feels like yesterday. This doesn't make sense. But, um, you know, I really value uh, Derek's friendship. Not only have we grown together uh, by the grace of God and not, you know, been as stupid as we once were, <laughs> praise the Lord, but, uh, you know, we've grown together in a lot of spiritual senses as far as theology and studying. Hmm. And it, Derek's Derek's one of those guys that I can go out to a restaurant, we could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and never move, and just talk about the Bible the entire time until our wives get mad, like, where have you been? Mm-hmm. So It's we, a great gift that not many people have. Yeah, and we try not to do that because, um, again, our wives get mad, and we have kids. <laughs> but if we could, we would. So, um, Derek, let's go ahead and start this off. Tell us a little bit about yourself, other than what I know about you. I'll hide those details, but... Oh, I appreciate it. Yep. I serve on the pastoral team at North Cities. Um, There's a number of us there, but I have been on staff for six years at North Cities. Um, I currently serve in the worship ministries and in the youth ministries. Um, Been a part of the worship ministries for six years and one of the student leaders for a little over two years, but then for a number of years prior to that. Um, I have two boys. Theo is four, Jude is two, about to turn three, and I've been married to my wife, Tiffany, for 10 years, believe it or not. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so yeah, I wanted you on here. It's nice that you do all the seven North Cities. I'm not downplaying that. I'll be a jerk to you because I'm your buddy. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're a dad, and uh, you have a you have a unique situation as a dad that not everyone has. It's not one that I have, but I know that there are other dads out there who have your same situation, uh, at least to some extent. And I think that you've been through a lot, and you've come to a lot of good realizations uh, just through prayer and study and you know God speaking to you, where you've been able to overcome some of the obstacles of mm. your particular situation. Mm. So just to go ahead and break the ice, uh, Derek mentioned he has two boys. Sounds like you probably need to throw a girl in there, but you got two boys, uh, Theo, who is four, and Jude, who's almost three. Now, Theo is diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. So just so everyone listening knows what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about first the desire to be a dad, because Derek, you have a good story about that. We're also going to talk about what it's like to father a child with autism, because you're in that boat. And then also, the last thing I want to talk about is the tension, and maybe we'll call it the struggle, the challenge, of parenting and fathering a child with autism, while at the same time, a child without. Mm. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about today, but Derek, you mentioned that you and Tiffany have been married for... Ten years, a decade, right? <laughs> That's crazy. We should talk more about other stuff outside of the Bible because <laughs> this is mind blowing to me right now. Um, so yeah, so you've been married for ten years. You and Tiffany got married. When did you actually decide you wanted to start a family? 
About two years in, a year after we moved into our house. Okay. So two years into the marriage, you get to the point, you get to the place. We're ready to have kids. We're ready to start a family. And now you had some challenges along the way. There were some issues with conception. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So here's what I want you to do, because I don't know your story. I want you to tell the story. Start us off at the point. You want to have kids. Take it from there. Yes, yeah, so we wanted to have kids, as you mentioned, and began to try. And it took a while, but we eventually did get pregnant, but sadly it progressed into a miscarriage. Mm. And over the course of about five years, it happened five to six times. Wow. Um, so much so that my wife, being a woman... Um, her value is feeling diminished because her body's not doing what it was designed to do. So mm-hmm. carrying that and helping her to cope with the stress, carrying the stress myself, wondering, like we all ask, even though there's not a really good answer, wondering why is it happening? Because yeah. prior to our boys coming, um, people just didn't talk about miscarriages. Yeah. It almost seemed like a taboo subject, and therefore we didn't have the grace and the strength needed to have walked more faithfully during that time. I'm not saying we were we were walking away from God, but there could have been a better, more robust way, a more faithful way as yeah. a, a Christian man and woman. You're definitely during, right, because we really season. like to focus on the miracles and all the good stuff, and you know, God's going to do this and God's going to do that, but the reality is, is sometimes you find yourself in the valley. God's still mm-hmm. there, but... It's not, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. Like, you know, you are you have your prosperity movement who is like, you know, way on one end of the spectrum. Like, mm-hmm. if you're doing the right stuff, then all these wonderful things are going to happen. It's like, Correct. well, I must be doing something wrong because my life kind of sucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I do want to break in real fast, though, because mm-hmm. um, my wife had a miscarriage. Now, she only had one, and you had multiple. But as a dad... How does that make you feel? I don't know how early on y'all's took place. Ours was, I think, between like four and six weeks, if I remember right. How how did that make you feel? Because for me, I guess, I mean, I knew that my wife was pregnant. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it's so early on and it's it, nothing has really settled. And it wasn't our first kid. So maybe that's a difference for me. And I, I tried to be what felt like I was just trying to be empathetic to my wife because for me, it, it's like, you know, you never see the baby bump. You never get to any of those phases. It's difficult for me to connect mm-hmm. with, you know, pain and struggle in the miscarriage. That, that's where I have a struggle. But how was that for you as a dad? Um, the way the events unfolded, the entailment of that was shame. Um, And by that, I mean, we found out we were pregnant. I think we were seven weeks in, Mm -hmm. and we had gone to Louisiana for Christmas, and we were going to tell her entire side. Sorry, Louisiana is where her family's from. It's where she's from. And we made a trip over there. We're having dinner, and we made this big announcement, like Uh. cake, food, baby clothes, and everything to reveal to her parents, her grandparents, aunt and uncles, cousins, everybody. And that happened. And soon afterward, we had the miscarriage. I gotcha. And again, it entailed in shame because here we are, 
ecstatic. We're elated. Right. Um, first time out of the gate trying to have kids. We are disclosing it to the entire family. And it seemed like the next day, um, miscarriage. I got you. Pretty so much happened. Y- y'all, y'all made it more of a. You openly, publicly made it more of a reality. Yes, and very early. That's on. something that I, we didn't do. It was my wife and I were the only ones who really knew. I don't even think that she had told her sister or mm-hmm. her mom or anything like that. And it, I mean, it all happened so quick from the moment that we found out to the moment that it actually happened. Um, so I, I was. I, I'll let you finish your story, but you brought that up and. I thought that, that was something unique. I, I know, at least for me, I almost felt bad. Like maybe I didn't feel bad enough mm. when that happened. Mm. But I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe it's just a dad thing, and I try to feel empathetic about it. But yeah, and it's hard because I we're not women. Yeah, like, I mean, we're not, not the ones carrying exactly. the baby. I don't have that direct connection, so yeah. maybe that's the difference. And maybe it's okay for me to feel this way, and maybe dads, it's okay for you to feel that way too. Mm. But anyway, pick it with your story. Yes, five to six miscarriages over the course of a few years. And um, again, helping my wife to um, walk with that stress, walk with that shame again. Her biggest question being, why is it my body producing what God intended for it to produce? And on top of that, it always felt like the miscarriages were happening during key moments. I can't remember if it, if it was our third or fourth miscarriage, but we were having a miscarriage the weekend we buried my wife's grandfather. Oh, wow. So hard times were compounding and conflating, yeah. and the stress, again, the shame. And in that instance, we couldn't even tell the family, because why do we want to try to eclipse yeah. her grandfather passing away, her mom's in mourning, all that right. um, is going into the situation. And again, saying all that, it just seemed like every miscarriage would happen during a pivotal, life-changing uh, moment. And the biggest thing, again, was we wished that we had new people or we we wish we would have been more open ourselves um, when they were happening because we had missed out on so much grace and strength that could have been ours had we had talked with people, had we had opened up. Um, Because as we had talked about elsewhere, um, God's healing doesn't always come to us supernaturally through him, so to speak, right? Um, healing very much happens in and through his body as we're communicating and talking with our brothers and sisters, hearing the wisdom that they have from the elders, hearing wisdom and empathy and sympathy that our, that our peers mm-hmm. um, and friends have. Um, that was something that we just didn't have because of the shame. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Um, and there was just lack of wisdom. Let's just be frank about it. Sure. It's just a lack of wisdom um, and a selfishness to withdraw. Yeah. You know, and uh, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of a body over and over and over again in his letters, but if, a, an, a, if an extremity or a limb is cut off, it's going to suffer and die sure. because it is apart from the body. Yeah. But if that connection is maintained and sustained, you're going to thrive even in the midst of harmful times. And that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, we live in a broken world. Everybody's heard this before, but there's going to be moments where you're walking in those valleys, you know? So, yeah, if you find yourself in a place where, let's let's just isolate it specifically to you and your wife are actually trying to have kids mm-hmm. and you're having miscarriages after miscarriages, it's okay to get help. It's okay yes. to talk about it. It's okay to, I mean, 
the reality is, like you said, a lot of it's not always publicized, but there are people who have done it. There are people who have opened up about it. I mean, mm-hmm. we live in a world today where there's so much connection between social media. Right. I mean, I know we lack it a lot of times in person mm-hmm. because we've gained so much in social media, which, you know, we need a balance there, but I'm not going to take a tangent. So we have so much connection through social media. You can find a group and Honestly, sometimes you can find the groups and it's basically like you're talking to people that you've never met that you probably will never meet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easier to just vent to people like that. Yeah. Unless you have good friendships and then you can just, mm-hmm. you know, word vomit on your buddy. Exactly. And like they'll clean up later, but you'll get through it. So yeah, it's okay um, to get help, guys. And for those who are struggling with miscarriages, you will be surprised to find out that it is a very common thing. Oh, yeah. When my wife and I finally disclosed our miscarriages, we were shocked to find out that almost every one of our contemporaries had had at least one. Yeah. And most of the elders in our life, those um, older individuals who are just seasoned with wisdom, went through it or knew somebody who went through it. Yeah. And I might be wrong. I think I'm right. But just because I've heard my wife talk about it, I think the statistic is one in four. Hmm. Is I think so. You know, you that that's that. Those are your chances of having a miscarriage. I mean, that that's that's not a great thing. I mean, the reality is it could happen to you. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're definitely not alone with that. Correct. Okay. Um. So continuing forward, um, after the fifth or sixth one, again, this was over the span of four to five years. Um, another. Holiday season was approaching, and as is my wife and my custom is, we go to Louisiana to visit her family and spend time for the holidays. Um, we're visiting with her family, and we attend a Sunday morning service, and my wife's uncle is preaching, and he is privy to everything that's happened. However, um, he felt impressed that particular morning to preach on healing and faith. Mm-hmm. And as he is doing so, I'm just feeling a check that at the end of service, we need to have him and some of the elders pray over us um, at the end of that service. And again, um, the doctors, uh, my wife's pediatrician said that there's nothing physically wrong with my wife nor myself, just for some reason. It's not happening. And so um, we're under the assumption that there's nothing physically wrong. There's no ailment. But again, as my wife's uncle is preaching, I'm just feeling this this nudge that we should get prayed for. And I told my wife, she said, okay, well, even though there's nothing wrong, if, if that's what you feel, we'll do it. And at the end of the service, just kind of stepped out by faith, had her uncle and a few of the men and women pray for us. And he... He prophesied over us that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for those who are listening who are wary of the gifts, I'm not here to spook you. I'm just telling you the truth as to what happened. Yeah. We we went up, got prayed for, and he spoke that the Lord had healed my wife during that prayer and that we would get pregnant and it would be a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We then found out four days later that my wife was pregnant. <laughs> four days later, we found out she was pregnant, and we had the healthiest pregnancy. Yeah. She never had any morning sickness. She didn't have any kind of ailment. Wow. Um, as a result of the pregnancy, and then 
as time passed. I didn't realize it was four days yeah, after. Yeah, four days later. <laughs> that's yeah. Re- that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it's neat how that happens, too. And I know we could we could easily break off and talk about Scripture and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to try not to. But I just think it's neat how you found out four days later she was already pregnant. Correct. We didn't know. And then you just mm-hmm. get this confirmation like, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through everything. And then you find out four days later. Yep. That's a pretty neat experience. It was an incredibly um, amazing experience. It was humbling. Yeah. Um, because it was one of those moments without any doubt, the God of all creation yeah. was focused on us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're immediately thinking of what David said, yeah. you know, who is human that you would be even mindful exactly. of us. <laughs> yeah. And we look, we just look at the sky all the time. We're like, man, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. What am I? <laughs> yep. The scope of yeah. just that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All creation, all the stars, all the planets, the, all the workings of the cosmos. And here it is, yeah. the creator. That's has awesome. got his eyes. It's amazing how he can sit high and yet still see so low. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let me ask you this. You're going through this period of time where you're trying to have kids. You're not having any luck. It's just miscarriage after miscarriage. You have a desire to be a dad at that point. Mm-hmm. How does it feel when... I mean, I know what it's like when you want something, but then you're unable to get it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just like little petty, selfish stuff. But mm. this is a little bigger than that. So how did how did that feel as someone who was ready to be a dad, at least so you thought, ready to be a dad and desiring to be a dad, yet it seems like it's just beyond your reach? Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult. Um because looking back now, I could say that I was ascribing to an ideal fatherhood, mm-hmm. parent, and that fulfillment and meaning yeah. would result if that ideal could be grasped. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't see that till much later. Sure. Even, and, it, and I didn't even, and I'd be honest, I didn't see it until its fullest extent. Yeah. Um, until about a year ago, yeah, which is relatively new. So this has been a four-year-long process. Yeah, I'm sorry, longer than that. So even even during the miscarriages, so this sure. is probably upwards to eight years. Right. Um, this has been a massive discipleship growth point. Um, that's taken a long time, and it was because there was this greed, there was this ideal that I would not be satisfied. Unless I had a family, and that sure. family had to look a certain way. Yeah. The typical American dream, you're in a house, you got that white picket fence, your kids are playing out in the front, and you drive up, and they run out to meet you with sheer joy and the smiles on their face, and you go in, greet your wife, and talk about how great both your day was and all that kind of stuff. Right. So there was this ideal, um, and that it felt like water um, passing through my hand or like sand going through my hand, like just could not grasp it. Yeah. No matter how hard I tried, it would just slip through. Um, and again, sadly, this this lesson didn't find its fulfillment until here recently, like I just said. Um, but the big point was in varying degrees, I had to learn that ultimately it was God who provided true joy, mm-hmm. true satisfaction, 
true meaning and significance. Right. Um, and that looked different, that nuance that was shaded as the years progressed. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. It's the joy and the happiness is not contingent on the stuff that you have, the status that you maintain, mm-hmm. or that whatever status you reach, or, you know, as a man, you go through the different phases where, you know, you're a teenager, you think you can do everything, you graduate high school and you think you've conquered the world, you're going mm-hmm. through college and you think you were just the stuff, and then you get a good job and you're like, man, I'm fantastic, and you finally have, you know, some of the stuff that you want to have, and then you, you know, you get a girl and you're like, I'm on top of the world, and then you yep. get married and you're like, man, I'm a husband now, and that last thing to reach, it seems like, is, well, now I just need to be a dad if I can just make this, Correct. you know, final evolution into fatherhood. Mm-hmm. I've done it. You know, yep. like, you know I, I've I've reached it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a good point that I think a lot of people miss is that uh, joy is not wrapped up in everything that is happening in your life. It's not wrapped that's up right. in what you have or who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it comes from God. Correct. Uh, g- great point. Um, okay, I want to get back to that because there's definitely some things that you're alluding to that I, I want you to say, because I think they're super important. But let's get to the point where, you know, you have this tension of you feel like you're a little less than because you can't be a dad. Mm-hmm. But then that day comes. Just walk us through the day. You're at the hospital. Theo's born. Mm-hmm. How's it feel? Um, so the ending moment was fantastic, but there was a little bit of trouble in paradise uh, precipitating okay. uh, Theo's uh, grand entrance into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the entire pregnancy was smooth and fantastic. We're approaching, um, we're approaching uh, Theo coming. My wife's water breaks. We go to the hospital. Everything is fine until we notice that her um, some of her levels are just a little bit um, off. And come to find out, with uh, a last minute sonogram, we find out that the cord is wrapped around my son's throat mm. and it's causing his heartbeat to spike up to levels that is really dangerous. And so immediate C-section, um, the doctor comes in, saves the day, Theo's there. And that first moment seeing him, just those blue eyes, yeah, um, I'll never forget. It was like staring into the most tranquil um, sea, clear sea ever. And then you hear that cry. Yeah. That first time the boy ever breathed yep. um, air and his lungs expanding and contracting. And you see the life just emerging from a womb. It was an incredible experience, something yeah. that I'll never forget. Um, the details are quite vivid. Um, and then to hold them. Oh no, it's surreal. Oh my yes, it's surreal. It's and like holding a bottle of grace. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. Um and trying to compose yourself in the moment. Yeah. Um because um excitement and joy and emotions bubbling up is the norm for any parent, but when you're walking through years of miscarriages yeah. and you've had this promise from God and you're now seeing the fulfillment of that, mm-hmm. um, you're overwhelmed with emotion. Sure. And so I was trembling yeah. holding my son. Yeah. That's cool. I'm so happy for y'all. Now you named your son Theo. Mm-hmm. So now, you made the decision to name him Theo after you knew you were pregnant, right? Correct. Okay. And this was after uh, your wife's uncle 
said everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a neat story. I'd just like you to share it. Why the name Theo? Hmm. Um, so why the name Theo and his middle name Samuel okay. is we wanted his name to be a signpost that pointed everyone to God. Gotcha. That's the principal reason. And Theo um, comes from Theodore, mm-hmm. which means gift from God. Okay. God gifted our son. Yeah. And then Samuel means his name is God. So again, a sign point, yeah. a signpost, sorry, pointing people every time they hear his name, every time they ask for his name, every time they recognize what the boy's name is, we want God to be glorified and honored and pointed to right. as a result of bringing Theo to this earth. Right. That's really really cool idea. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know a lot of times in the Christian movements, you know, we dedicate our kids. We have the mm-hmm. dedication ceremony where we essentially, you know, commit them to God. We have this public ceremony where everyone knows that as parents, we're essentially giving our kids back to God and mm-hmm. we're going to raise them with his instruction in mind. I just think it's neat though, you know, you went a little bit old testament there, you know, people are going to see Theo mm-hmm. and in a sense, you know, when they hear his name, they're going to know, okay. So yep. you are what you are named. Exactly. You are identified correctly. Yeah, you are a gift. Right. And Samuel, his middle name, his name is God, not right. referring again to Theo, but right. referring the individual right. to God. It's a mm-hmm. gift from God that points people back to... Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. That's awesome. All right. So you've got Theo, and you're a happy camper. You're a new dad, new parents. At what point did you realize some things that seemed a little bit odd? Because I already let the cat out of the bag. Theo is diagnosed with autism now. Mm-hmm. At what point, how early on was it where things started to seem a little strange? Around eight to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, everything seemed normal. I mean, new parents, so we're guessing. Yeah. Guessing normal. Um, every. All the categories were checking off. Yeah. You know, um, according to what I have perceived over the course of 30 some odd years. Right. Um, but around eight to nine months, we noticed that when Theo got really, really excited, he would tense up and he would flap his arms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not like a chicken. So much as it would be that he would just kind of flail yeah, his, his wrists. wrists. I re- yeah. yeah, I remember seeing him do it at church all the time with the yes. music. Yeah, and and we just thought that that was his way of expressing excitement. Sure, but it protracted, it prolonged, it was sticking around, um, and then we noticed um, after a year. Um, I'm sorry, after he turned a year old, probably close to a year and a half. Um, that there was some language difficulty, okay. that he was not um, articulating himself in a manner that was consistent with most uh, one-and-a-half-year-old sons. Yeah. And so that, in combination with his arm flailing, mm-hmm. led us to think that maybe something was up. I got you. And we just, out of what we felt to be wisdom, elected to... Um, view what is called the Warren Center, and they they're a group, um, a subset of a of a school district that that um, can pre-diagnose um, young individuals. Um, 
So not not in a um, definitive sense, but at least um, help you become aware if they are on the spectrum. Sure, right. And mm-hmm. you know, you said earlier Theo's four, Frankie's five, and we kind of went through a similar track mm-hmm. where you know it was more so my wife, and honestly, for me, it was probably you know kind of what you expressed just with the greed of fatherhood, and you have an idea of what your family looks like. Mm-hmm. I was just convinced that there was no way that my son had autism. Mm. And a part of it was a convince, and another part of me wanted to say, by faith, there's no way. Be, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but as a new dad, you get to a weird mental, emotional place, and you're thinking, no, this just, this just can't be right, um, because this isn't what I envisioned. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember sharing a lot of, you know, what we were going through with you, and then y'all going through the same experience. And I remember for me, I, I had this I had this tough experience. So I was always the voice that told my wife, he's fine, okay? He's a boy, boys talk later. Because Frankie was talking a little bit, and then he'd stopped. Mm-hmm. He stopped for like a year. Like, he didn't start talking again until he was two. And he was at least trying to say mama and dada and more things like that mm-hmm. before he was a year old. And then it was like a year of silence. Mm. So we thought, okay, maybe something's up. And I remember she was texting me one day while I was at work and where, where I was working at the time, I could just get out and walk in the parking lot. And I did it all the time just to kind of pray and break away. And it was just a more real, you know, hit me at home, if you will, conversation from my wife about him potentially being autistic. And I remember I was walking around and I was weeping in the parking lot. I'm glad. Like, it's an open church parking lot in the middle of the week, so nobody was there. But I was just sobbing like a baby, you know, just trying to vent and talk to God and express how I felt about everything. You know, the Bible does tell us to cast our cares on Him, and that's exactly what I was doing. And um, for me, while, you know, there's that concern of, I'll never get to do certain things with him. He'll never be able to, you know, go outside and play catch. He'll never be able to, you know, do ABC. He's not going to be able to do this stuff. So that was hard to try and, you know, wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I did come to a resolve and was just kind of at peace about it. But I told God, I said, "If, if Frankie's got autism, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best dad this kid can ever have. Like, I'm going to accept him and, and embrace him. And maybe what I envisioned about fatherhood can't be the case, but I'm going to make a new vision for what fatherhood should look like with an autistic son. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's where I ultimately landed and settled at that. And, you know, over the process of time, I think Frankie's problem was more so related to uh, hearing there was fluid in his ears mm-hmm. he got tubes we had to take out his tonsils his adenoids and honestly three weeks after that procedure he started talking again mm-hmm. so that was kind of a relief um but that was kind of my take on it so what i'm curious about is i, I imagine you have somewhat of a similar story with you know you've got this vision in mind of what your family's going to look like your son being autistic is probably not a part of that vision Mm -hmm. and then reality starts to set in that hey this might be the case now for me it turned out to not be but for you it did it did turn out to be that way so 
just kind of take us through that journey mentally, emotionally, when it finally settles in, he is autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, the pervading question was, God, how can your miracle? Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Become a kid with autism. Right. That was the big question. That was the question that I wrestled with. Um, couple of years yeah you know theo got officially diagnosed at around three three and a half uh he's four now um so for a long time it was god how and why would you perform a spectacular miracle and allow our son to be autistic Mm -hmm. just my mind could not reconcile reconcile that um and as you mentioned earlier we could cast all the anxieties and stresses. And so much like the psalmists, I was allowing prayer to really shape and guide my um, harsh, brash, broken emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm thankful that I, had, that I had a theology of prayer that knew about lament. Yeah. Because if we don't, we're going to allow just all the emotions to spill out with no form, no guidance, no rails. And prayer unchecked like that is going to be unprofitable. Sure. But anyways, um, that was... Hopefully that helped somebody there anyways. But, um, drop the nuggets. Yeah, drop along the nuggets. The way. <laughs> um, but that was the question. And... There were moments, um, this is trans, me being transparent, there were moments that I became angry. Sure. Um, again, because I could not reconcile that question. I could yeah. not figure it out. This was something too visceral, too palpable um, for me that it it brought genuine anger, and I brought that to God. Yeah. Um, however, um, there came a moment... Um, when it finally dawned on me that God is at work in me and my wife through my son to, I guess best way to say it is to disciple us. Mm-hmm. There was a reminder that this life is not about me. Yeah, There's a story happening. The lead character is God himself. And he's the one who's invited me into that story. This universe doesn't revolve around me. Yeah. Um, creation doesn't orient itself towards me. I'm invited into his play. Yeah. And I've come in at this time and God is doing something. And when that reality finally um, cemented itself and came to the fore, mm-hmm. um, it helped me to reorient myself and my questions and my prayers. So recognizing that this world is broken, we can't give an account as to why evil and suffering and why bad things happen to some people. But we do know that the Bible tells us an incredible story concerning what God did about evil. Mm -hmm. He defeated it, and now he's in the process of restoring and redeeming and reconciling us. And part of that means he's discipling us, that he is allowing certain things to happen um, which then this led me to Romans 8, all things work to good. Yeah. That as we're in a world waiting to be redeemed, as we're in a world that's filled with hurt and suffering, God is turning the evil on its head and bringing about something beautiful. Like 
Joseph and his brothers. Mm-hmm. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. God and his sovereignty allowed my son to be born with autism. For whatever reason, he he could have stopped it. Sure. But he didn't. He allowed it. And I have to recognize that he is then using it for his purposes. Because again, our being here is his invitation into his story. Mm-hmm. It's all about him, not about us. Right. Um, so when that key takeaway came to the fore, it changed a lot of my prayers. It changed a lot of my thoughts. It changed uh, my orientation concerning um, Theo and his autism, um, which then has led us to help him get the help that he needs. Sure. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. You basically had, uh, well, not not as extreme, but you kind of went through the same emotional crisis as Job went through. Job lost everything, mm. but his final resolve is God's basically saying what you said. You know, who can do this except for me, and I do this, and this happens, mm-hmm. and I'm taking care of everything, buddy. Yeah. Why are yeah. you complaining? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, there is there's a pride that's surfacing if we're asking those questions. Yeah. Um, and again, we have to recognize it's not about us. Yeah. And it's so hard when you're when you're lost amongst the trees that you can't see the forest. Yeah. You know, of course, your attention is going to be narrowed and focused, but God was gracious, very patient, um, and over time. Uh, he was able to shepherd and manage those emotions, that hurt, that stress, that anxiety, um, that coming to grips that my son does have autism. I mean, even though yeah. we knew um, in an intellectual sense, when that official pronouncement came from his, um, pedi- not pediatrician, um, I'm drawing a blank um, as to the name of the doctor, but when that official diagnosis came, it just became so much more visceral and so much more real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think it's really neat, and just to expound on something that you said, just to make sure that everyone listening can actually wrap their head around this. So dads, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, such as Derek did, where there's anger, there's frustration, there's confusion in the situation. I think what's neat in your situation, and I think you did it right, even though maybe it was the intent, maybe it was not, is even though you had the questions, and even though you never had the resolve, it took, I mean, how how long from the point where you know you had this anger and this confusion of the issue until you had this resolve? How long was that for you? It took a while. I mean, um, probably a couple of years, two, three so, years, a long time. Yeah. So, so you go, you go through this crisis, if you will, for two years. But I think what's admirable, and I think what's right for us to do as dads, is you kept going back to conversation with God, mm-hmm. even though it might have been like, "Hey, I'm still angry. Hey, I don't, I don't really understand." You know, a lot of people. I think, walk away at points of crisis where they can't make sense of it, so obviously God's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people tend to do that, and I think what you did is probably the right way to go about it. Even though things don't make sense in the moment, and even though after praying and having that conversation with God, you don't get the answer that you think you needed, wanted, 
or you feel like you don't get an answer at all, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you don't go back the next day or the next moment you have free time and say, hey, God, just reminder, I'm still angry about this. You know, yeah. you, you stay involved in that conversation. Uh, and, and that's what happens. I think, I think about half the stuff, probably more than that, that I understand, that I feel like I know, has just happened over time through conversations, mm-hmm. where you get a little bit here and a little bit there, and then finally there's something that clicks. And all these little pieces of the puzzle that you've received through this long conversation, mm-hmm. finally, like, now I know where they go. And now you can yeah. piece everything together, and you just have this moment, kind of mm-hmm. like you had, this epiphany where, okay, now, now I have a clearer picture, mm-hmm. now I have a different perspective, a different worldview, and it changes the way that you are as a dad. I mean, you're going to father a lot differently with that perspective than one of, I'm still kind of confused why you are the way that you are, Theo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be a totally different dynamic. So um, I want to say this, and it's going to be a little weird. I'm glad you went through that mm-hmm. for the benefit of other people and yeah. went through it the way that you did. Yeah, and that goes back to what I was saying, um, Romans 8, Yeah, all things. Yeah. Um, God has always done a masterful job in redeeming suffering, pain, hurt um, in such a way that it speaks to others and gives him glory. Yeah. You know, when God upended the evil of Joseph's brothers, what happened as a result? It saved a nation and it saved his family. Yeah. What happened when God um, upended the cross? He made a way for salvation for everybody. Yeah. And it happens over and over and over again. God, since the beginning, has always redeemed pain, hurt, and... We're only going to be able to see that if we can step back and say it's not about us. Sure. Everything is about him yeah. and him redeeming creation. Yeah, your difficult time, your suffering could just be the start of this huge act of redemption is yep. something that's going to be pivotal mm-hmm. in in the world ahead. So, exactly. Uh, awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a dad with a child who has autism. Mm -hmm. Just kind of talk us through some of the differences, some of the things that maybe are a little unique. I I know you had a vision of what it would look like, Mm -hmm. but what's the reality? Yeah, um, the reality, or another way of saying it, one of the biggest hurdles or obstacles that Tiffany and I had to jump over was figuring out what satisfies Theo. Yeah. You know, um, for most kids, it's just simple toy, time together, whatever. Um, but with Theo and the way that his autism works is he's getting an overload or an inordinate amount of stimuli coming inward that forces him to get really tense, really uncomfortable, and he has to let it out. He mm-hmm. has to output it in such a way that he can be regulated. Yeah. And... It took us a while, but we found out that Theo has um, what his therapists have shown us to be vestibular issues um, and proprioceptive issues. And that uh, is a fancy way of saying that he finds calm and relax whenever he's able to swing or move through a space. Mm -hmm. So if he can get on a swing and go from side to side in a space, if he can get in a pool 
and swim from side to side. Like it's that floatless, weightless sense that he gets that somehow mitigates his sensory overload and can regulate him. Gotcha. That was a game changer. Yeah. Because up until that point, Theo was regularly frustrated, aggravated, um, never mean, never harsh, but tense. Sure. Um, so basically what you're saying is you can give him like 30 minutes to an hour where he can do his swaying mm-hmm. and then he's fine. And then he's fine. Wow. Yeah. Um, that, and then that then enables us the space to do his schoolwork, um, to learn or to play mm-hmm. or to be in a room. Um, another big obstacle was he loves routine. Yeah. And that is very common with somebody on the spectrum. Routine brings a sense of order and calm to those individuals. And when you break that routine, it's like jumping on a high wire when somebody's trying to cross, you know, on top, walk on top of a wire. Yeah. And you're sitting there shaking it and they're getting ready to fall over. The angst that they have yeah. is the same kind of angst that an individual with, with on the spectrum has. Gotcha. You're disrupting the order. And it just puts him in a um, bad mood. And Theo excels with routine and order. Yeah. So you got any funny stories? Funny stories? Yeah. Funny stories with him specifically. Maybe it could be just maybe something out of the box that he does. Maybe it could be uh, a kind of failure slash learning moment for you as a dad where... Hmm. I know I'm just throwing this on you, but... Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. All right, if you just get it later, then just, okay. you know, just get it. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so you've got, you know, the interesting dynamic of you have different routines and you have different things you have to do to accommodate mm-hmm. Theo with his autism. But what was it? Three days later, after Theo was around, then you were pregnant again. Look at that. <laughs> Look at the miracles yeah. just flow into yeah. your life. Happened again. So then you had Jude. Yeah, 16 months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could wait a little bit. We waited two years, but <laughs> I guess you're just trying to show off. Anyway, um, so you have Jude, and we'll skip a little bit here, but Jude doesn't have autism. Correct. Jude is, not trying to offend people, but quote unquote, we'll just say it's normal, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So nothing wrong with Jude. Girls are a little different. Mm-hmm. Talk about the Talk about the tension there. Of you have Theo with autism, you have Jude without. Do you ever find yourself, you know, struggling to parent one one way and one the other? Do you ever find yourself maybe gravitating more to Jude because you can do particular things with him? How's that? Yeah, so the parenting dynamic was initially difficult. Yeah. Not not long, but initially because with Theo and his routine, it was set. We knew that boy was going to stay in one room, play with a particular set of toys, and mm-hmm. he would rarely deviate. Even though he had freedom to do whatever the heck he wanted, right. he just liked his routine. And so we knew that after breakfast, he would do this. After lunch, he would do that. And in between, all this kind of stuff. Jude comes around, and he is our heathen. Wrecking ball. Yes. <laughs> um, gets into everything. Loves to disobey willfully. Um Speaking of something funny. Okay. So Jude is incredibly sharp and he knows how to willfully um, disobey. I mean, from day one, this was Jude. And so there is a law in the week's household. You don't go near the fireplace. It's dangerous. You're going to hurt yourself. All this kind of stuff. 
Well, Jude understands this. He is now almost three. He'll be three next month in December. He knows he shouldn't be over in the fireplace, but he will wait until we turn our back towards him. He'll waltz or saunter himself over to the fireplace. He'll turn around and look at us with this evil grin and start laughing (laughs) in a menacing way. And then he will wait until we make eye contact with him and he will stretch his hand out and touch the fire. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So that little garden snake from Genesis 3 is already wrapped around his heart and showing itself. Yeah. Jude and Reagan can never get married because they will try to take over the world. Because my daughter. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be evil masterminds. She she had the attitude and then it was, she was already feisty and sassy. And then we took her to watch Raya and the Last Dragon. Mm Mm-hmm. And when she saw this girl kicking everyone's tail and kind of being bad, if you will, oh, man, that was like a turning point. She Mm. wanted to kick and fight and punch everything. She watches The Little Mermaid, and Ariel's not her favorite character, not even The Little Lobster or The Flounder, Ursula. She loves Ursula. Wow. We were at the store the other day. She was like, there's an Ursula doll. I was like... I cannot, in my right mind, let you <laughs> embrace this dark side. Praising Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, so continue on with the dynamic between the two. So again, Jude, just a free spirit everywhere. And it took us a while to navigate um, that distinction. Theon is routine, will never move, never cause you any worry. And then you have my little wrecking ball two-year-old who's going to get up on the couch and jump and try to get on the head of the couch and fall off of it. Onto so the, so that's how just is him. that? Because I know Jude as the wrecking ball would have had to have wrecked up some of the routine for Theo. Like, was there chaotic moments that you had to try and mitigate? Yeah. So especially when he first came home, when Jude first came home, having another individual in the house made Theo uncomfortable. Gotcha. Um, Theo, 16 months, but um, he is utterly aware. You know, he, he sharp in that sense. Yeah. Um, he gave Jude the cold shoulder initially. Why is this little dude in this house? And why is he always crying? Why yeah. is he making a fuss? <laughs> you know, why are mommy and daddy having to constantly be around him? Not in a jealous sense, but he's right. just trying to figure it out because sure. the routine has been disrupted. And yeah. so he's having to adopt right. this new routine. And now it's not a problem. You know, yeah. um, they can be in the same room. However, Theo rarely ever pays him any attention. Gotcha. There is that routine now. He just knows Jude's a part of the package. Yeah. He's going to do what he does, <laughs> you know, <laughs> regardless if he wants him there or not. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. That's got to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've talked a little bit about your story, and I think you've shared a lot of good pieces of advice, a lot of good perspectives. Um. And I know not everyone who listens is probably going to fall under the the umbrella of Christianity, but while I'm not going to try and push you into it, I will say you should give it a shot, <laughs> um, because it is helpful. A lot of the stuff that you shared, Derek, just the whole mentality, the whole perspective of, you know, this isn't really about me and mine and what mm-hmm. I want. There's something really big happening with what God's doing, mm-hmm. and when we get on board with that, it really helps us out a lot mm. in the me and mine because it Correct. shifts all of that. And I know that was super helpful for you in accepting Theo with autism. And ultimately in doing that, you're going to be a fantastic dad for him. Mm. And is there anything 
anything else that you'd like to share? Any advice? Any final word? I'm not going to kill you after this, but you know, any last words that you would like to leave with that? Yeah, I think we hinted at this earlier, but if you find that your children um, reside on the spectrum, don't be afraid or think it's a lack of faith if you get them checked out. Yeah. Just, I promise you, you will be very happy that you did. Um, And we said this elsewhere. Um, Again, sometimes God doesn't just supernaturally step in, but sometimes his body brings healing. Yeah. um, Through, I'm sorry, sometimes he brings healing through other individuals. Right. And uh, I can't tell you how many times Theo's therapists have found issues that were mitigated or stopped because they saw it early. Yeah. And he's, he's, He's acquired the help that he's need that he needs, um, and currently needing, and it's helping him to live as normal a life as possible. Right. So I cannot stress how important it is to get help. Okay. Cool. I and mean, to not be afraid to talk about it. Yeah. So I mean, that definitely helps your child get the help that he needs, but it also helps you as mm. a dad father him the way that he needs to be. Correct. Fathered. It's, yeah. You know, I had an uncle who used to always say, "I I think I could get more done if I knew what I was doing." Like mm-hmm. when you actually know. Okay, this is my situation. This is then what I need to do. Right. Then you can actually be productive and helpful for your kids. Mm-hmm. Well, Derek, man, thanks for a break. Thanks for breaking away from your routine to be with me. I, I thought about sharing this at the beginning. I'll go ahead and share it now. So I've tried to get Derek interviewed for a while now, and I will randomly just text him. And be like, hey, are you available in the next twenty five minutes? <laughs> and and he, he made a comment. He was like, I'm not trying to I'm not just trying to, you know, ignore you. I was like, I totally get it. You know, in the same way that you're like, you can't make an exception in your twenty five minute slot mm. when sometimes when you do have availability, I don't have it either because we both are dads with kids, mm-hmm. life changes. And so I'm glad that the stars aligned and uh that we were able to do this. But yep. thank you for having me. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it again. We'll see what happens. We'll see us. We'll see how things develop down the road, and mm. see if you can drop some more wisdom on these guys. But thank you for listening, everybody. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time.